Hi, good evening and thanks for tuning in. The program is Subject ACT on your people-powered radio 2XX FM 98.3. I'm Sophie Singh and it's great to have your company. On Subject ACT we bring you stories connecting with our local Canberra community and beyond, exploring current and community affairs from a curious and informed perspective. Affairs with a global dimension. Tonight on Subject ACT we're speaking with Dr Janet Salisbury. Janet is a founder of the Women's Climate Congress, a new network that, in Janet's words, seeks to amplify women's voices and leadership to promote non-partisan collaborative action to address climate change and to prioritise the ongoing nurture of life on Earth. Janet, thank you very much for speaking with me on Subject ACT today. I really appreciate it. That's okay. Thanks, Sophie. Janet, the Women Climate Congress has called for greater representation of women on the National COVID-19 Coordination Commission. What is the current makeup of that commission and what proportion of its members are women? Well, the commission itself has an executive which has six members and of that four are men and two are women, four men and two women. And they also have an advisor and two department secretaries who are part of that group, and all three of those are men. Then also they have associated with that three working groups. If you take the total number of people that are connected with the Commission overall, there are 28, I think we counted. And out of that 28, there are nine women. So that's a third. Yes. What does the Women Climate Congress think should be the representation of women on that commission? Is it a 50% representation? Well, that would be ideal, but the the Commonwealth Government itself has a target of 40% representation of women. Within the public service or on committees? Within any sort of decision-making bodies like that, yes. Can you give us a snapshot? What is the purpose of the National COVID-19 Coordination Commission? What's its brief and what's it done so far? And I know it's early days. Well, this commission was set up by the Prime Minister back in March, I believe, so it's already been operating for a while. Mm -hmm. And its brief initially, I think, was to help, as its title implies, to help coordinate the response to COVID-19. And I think when it was first formed, for instance, one of the working groups is manufacturing, and I think that group was looking at things like how to get respirators and uh, personal protective equipment into the system fast to support the response to COVID. But now the brief of the Commission is transitioning into looking at how to sort of restore the economy that has taken such a battering (laughs) as a result of the COVID outbreak itself. So to restore jobs and get the economy moving again. So in in one sense, it's narrowed to that economic focus, but in narrowing it, it opens itself up to a much wider focus in terms of what that economic rebuild might look like. Yes. Janet, what difference do you think having more women on the commission, the executive, the advisory group and the working parties will make? Do you see that it can have an impact in the way the commission operates or in its priorities or its engagement with the community? So, for example, women have been among the most hardest hit in terms of job loss as a result of the COVID-19 lockdowns. Having more women on the commission, do you think that that particular issue might be addressed differently? Yes, because I think women have been very much impacted by this uh, pandemic. So it seems to have been well documented that 
terms of job losses, women have been in, impacted. The sort of industries that women work in have been impacted. So it seems that it's a natural justice thing that yeah. those that are involved should be at the decision-making table about how to restore the economy. But yes. in a broader sense than that, I think women should be at the table just on the basis of constituting half of the population and I think women get a bit sort of fed up with being marginalised especially at this particular point in history when we're at a bit of a crossroads in terms of a number of things in relation to climate change obviously which is the focus of the Women's Climate Congress yeah. but also now with the pandemic uh, it's really shaken things up enormously and so we're at a sort of very significant point in history where we really need to bring to to the table, all of the voices, and it isn't just women. I mean, there should really be Indigenous uh, people at the table and other diverse perspectives there as well. And I was going to ask yeah. you about that, uh, Janet, in terms yeah. of the representation on that commission. Female representation is obviously not to the proportion that the uh, Women Climate Congress has called for. Is that the same case in terms of an imbalance in representation for, like you say, First Nation uh, representatives, people from cultural and linguistically diverse communities? How mono cultural in a way is the commission well it is typically quite monocultural as these things often are but i mean i I want to resist in answering these questions being too critical because one of the visions that we have in the women's climate congress is to try and create a culture where we can broaden the discussion and be more inclusive in bringing people together you know so i want to have an ongoing conversation uh, with people that are at the table I think the commission was put together in an emergency situation, so inevitably, probably, people that were available. But there is a bit of a tendency in our political culture not to be very inclusive of all those other groups. That's one of the cultural changes that it would be good to see, that we do do that better. I think there's there's an element of a default position that we go to. And in relation to women, it was interesting because just the week before, or a few days before really, we went for our meeting with Mr Power. The Workplace Gender Equality Agency had released their Equity Insights Report for 2020 and has sort of shown the results of new research which showed quite categorically that when women are in key decision-making positions in companies, the performance and productivity and profitability are all statistically significantly improved. So there's very solid research behind this. Did that research uncover why that was? What the explanations were for that higher profitability where women were in greater leadership roles in those organisations? I'm sure there were some thoughts put forward on that. You know, women sometimes bring a more consensus-building approach. And this is one of the things we're interested in the Women's Climate Congress as well, to try and really work together as women to find what that voice is that we can bring to the table. Because I think sometimes by fitting into systems that have been designed by men, you know, like over hundreds of years, we haven't as women always found what our true voice and way of working is and what differences that really can make, yeah. Janet, you mentioned that you recently met with Commission Chair Neville Powell. To what extent have Commission members' doors been open to hear from groups like the Women Climate Congress? Well, I mean, we were very pleasantly surprised and quite delighted that we were offered a meeting because we're a relatively new group. What we did was we actually wrote letters to the women members of the government, all of the coalition women MPs, to to ask them if they were concerned about the makeup of the commission. And one of those was Maurice Payne, who's the minister responsible for the Office of Women. And we sent a copy of that letter to Mr Power and to some of the other members of the commission. And we were very delighted to be offered this meeting. So 
it seems that they are open to community. Which is very encouraging because I think often those sort of approaches go nowhere and and often you don't even receive acknowledgement. So that's a very positive response. And in the meeting itself, when you raise your concerns about uh, representation of women, what sort of response did you get from Mr Power and what were you asking him to do? Well, we asked him to... um, maybe take up with the Prime Minister to uh, increase the representation of women. And he certainly said that they would be looking at that. They're actually in a point where they're looking at the whole way that this commission is working, apparently, because it is a bit of a transition point now, coming from managing the pandemic to, well, at least a week or so ago when we met him, this was the case. It might have changed a little bit, but, you know, moving from managing the pandemic through to really thinking about how we're going to get people back into jobs and that aspect of their work. Well, he seemed to indicate that that looking again at their representation and who would be at the table from now on. So, again, uh, encouraging and leaving that door open. Yes, yes, and certainly left the door open for us to get back to him with suggestions and, yeah. Have we seen any difference in the area of politics, even where there is a greater female representation? I went back and had a look at the, the ALP shadow ministry and out of a ministry of 23 people, there are 11 women shadow ministers, so not quite 50%. And I'm struggling to see what difference that has made in terms of the political debate between the two major parties. And I wondered whether you think that actually 50% representation is too little. Are the positions of partisanship and, I don't know, machismo, if I can use that term, so entrenched that for women's different style to have a real impact, there actually has to be more than 50% representation by women? Yeah, I think I do think that in a sense, and I think that's why you know I have formed this Women's Climate Congress as an organisation for women, because people quite often say to me, "Well, why haven't you just made a you know a climate congress?" There's plenty of really wonderful men out there who are working for climate change, and it's not very inclusive not to. Of them. And in a discussion paper that I published, which was the sort of starting point for this new organisation, I actually said, I think this is a time for women's leadership. And it's not necessarily for women to be the ones that, you know, make all the changes, but it's for women to be able to come together in sufficient numbers to, as I said earlier, find our own voice, work the way we as women like to work, whatever that is. (laughs) And I think there is a way, it's like, you know, an identical way that we feel when we are together as women. And to sort of leverage that to make some cultural change that will influence the system so that the women who actually are also working inside the system in the ministries and in the government also are able to be maybe more themselves than they have been able to be before Uh, because women have been fitting in it's like putting a square peg into a round hole into this system you know for the last hundred years since we got the vote and the progress has been glacially slow to even get to the point now where you can even look at the um, opposition, for instance, and say that they've got, you know, almost half women in their shadow ministry. But it's been so slow to get to that point. And all the way along the line, women who have wanted to get into these positions have had to operate within this system that wasn't designed by them and doesn't necessarily suit their natural way of working. But we don't really know what women's natural way of working is. We haven't ever had a leadership system where there's been all women to find that out. So, you know, maybe it's a sort of a different type of feminism that says we need to sort of rise above the current system somehow as women to be ourselves. And maybe look to the micro because there would be micro examples where women are in leadership, women's organisations that have been created, led and, you know, nurtured by women can point to some of the different ways in which women take a different approach. Yeah. 
I just want to jump forward very briefly because you talked about the formation of the uh, Women Climate Congress. So it was formed this year during or in the aftermath of the bushfires. So was the gap that the Congress was seeking to fill was really a climate change network that was for women, led by women, to bring a different approach? Yes, that was it, yes. I've spoken to you before about the work of a chorus of women in relation to the Women's International Congress in 1915 And that is my inspiration, really, for this new movement. And that's why we're called the Women's Climate Congress, because it's sort of a a nod to that other Congress for a hundred and something years ago, which was an example of women coming together on their own terms, even though at that time they didn't have the vote. And they were able to work together to come up with this amazing set of resolutions that were all around the nurture of life. And that's what we feel we are around now. We want policy decisions to be based on the the nurture of life. So we don't want this terrible shadow that's sort of hanging over future generations where they're actually scared of their future. And I'm scared, you know, when I have my grandchildren here, as I did last week, and I'm desperately sort of worried, as we all are, emotionally turned up about this issue of how their future is going to be. So it's bringing that idea to bring women together to form a network around the country to start talking to our elected representatives about a different way of trying to bring people together to get past the roadblocks that we've been having in our political system to find a way forward, you know, to balance the climate and ensure that there is a safe future for the children. And will the Congress look to formulate a framework, I suppose, or set of steps? Yes, we are thinking about what our principles are, the principles that would give a sustainable future, I guess, not just solving the problems of today and tomorrow, but, you know, something that changes our culture so that we actually can have a more sustainable future. Yes. And one of those things is finding ways to bring people together, you know, in a more collaborative culture to but always prioritising the future of the planet as a central part of that. As the common ground from which yeah, we're all as starting. The ground, as the common ground. Exactly. Yes. If you've just tuned in, you're listening to me, Sophie Singh, and the program is Subject ACT on your people-powered radio, 2XXFM 98.3. We're talking with Dr Janet Salisbury about the Women Climate Congress and their call for greater representation by women on the National COVID-19 Coordination Commission. Janet, can we turn to one of the intersections between COVID-19 and, and climate change? And despite uh, the pandemic pushing climate change to the margins, I suppose, of public consciousness to some extent, the urgency to act is certainly not reduced at all. The Women Climate Congress is urging the COVID-19 Coordination Commission to take the opportunity to address climate change and to champion renewable energy and emissions reduction in its work on shaping and advising on an economic rebuild. Did you have the opportunity to raise this with Commission Chair Neville Power when you met with him recently? Yes, we had quite a long conversation about that with Mr Power and we found that he was definitely on side with Australia transitioning to a carbon zero economy, certainly to meet the 2050 deadline of the Paris Accord. I think the difference is sometimes that you hear about in the media are sort of a question of how to get there and different perspectives on just how quickly the renewable technologies can be rolled out with the battery storage and and all of those things. So there still are some issues there to be resolved, but we found that there was a lot of will, I think, to to transition us to a a carbon-neutral economy. There has been some criticism of the composition of the Commission, with the presence, I suppose, of a number of Commission members that have links to the gas industry. Mr Power himself is a former executive of Fortescue Metals and has spoken out to promote gas mining as the transition energy source. 
how possible do you think that the COVID-19 Commission is able to set a pathway that marries up economic rebuild with emissions reduction, with giving the priority to renewable energies, particularly in the context that the government's approach now seems to be looking to technology really as the the key instrument that will address the climate crisis. To what extent do you think we need an entirely different model to be able to manage both the economic crisis and the climate crisis? Probably not the best person to comment on the detail of one technology versus another and my motivation was to sort of try and open the door to some more constructive conversations and I think that is possible I think they could be I think maybe people some people you know maybe on all sides have to think about coming to the table and listening a bit more to other perspectives and thinking about how we can work things out but all the time thinking about the end game, which is to secure a, a climate balance. And a sustainable a future. future. If we're all on that yes. page, then I think Indeed. knowledge is available and coming online in Australia, it's all quite exciting, but yes. we just need to sort of get past this stage where everyone, you know, like if you talk about gas, you're in one camp, and if you talk about, you know, renewables with battery storage, you're in another camp, and then yep. you can't talk together. I mean, it just would be good to get people together to try and sort of go a little bit more deeper into what the blockages are and work out the way forward. There did seem to be goodwill from the conversation we had to get to where we want to be. In that model, how do you overcome then the self-interest? So, for example, the fossil fuel industry, they have a very clear self-interest in continuing the use of fossil fuel. How do you overcome those vested interests that I think have impeded progress on addressing climate change? I think I can't take on those big vested interests. I think what I'm trying to do is to create a network of community voices, in this case initially at least, women's voices, to lead a voice that builds relationships with our elected representatives to tell them what we expect, that we expect them to make policy that will secure a future for our children. We call on the moral authority, if you like, that as parents and adults, that is our responsibility. Because we know in communities sort of how to look after each other and what the right thing to do is. I think people know that that it's right to create a safe environment for their children. That is our responsibility. And we're just calling on our leaders to do that, really. There is a self-interest that we all have in creating a condition where the planet continues to be sustainable and our existence on it does so as well. Exactly, yes, and I think that's where we're focusing our our energy and our interest. Of course. And and we did find in our meeting with the Commission that there did seem to be an interest in a broader community style of consultation, so we're just taking that little (laughs) glimmer of hope to think that we can develop something. Absolutely, and take them at their word and then try and push that door open further. Yeah. Janet, when you launched the Women Climate Congress, you would have no doubt anticipated that your hands were full with the, the crisis that the bushfires threw up yes. and the sharpness that that brought uh, the climate crisis into, into focus. Yes. And then the pandemic took us all completely by surprise. Yeah. How did the Women Climate Congress shift gear? And I'm interested to know, was the fact that you were such a new network actually make you more agile in shifting or did that newness actually impede or create other difficulties in terms of changing focus? That's an interesting question. Uh, I think possibly the former because initially we had 
face-to-face meetings in Canberra where women came together, sort of coalescing around the ideas in this discussion paper that I had published. And we started to think about how we might you know, form an organisation. And we were even starting to think about more sort of open meetings in Canberra, maybe even a national conference. And then COVID came along and, of course, those ideas of having, you know, traditional meetings all sort of went by the board. But we very quickly realised that we could more easily network with people from all over the country and bring people together in Zoom, the wonderful Zoom. (laughs) And we have been doing that. So I think it's been quite advantageous to us in that way. You know, there's nobody that's out of our reach in the country to sort of get in touch with and have a meeting with and bring on to our online conversation. Proved to be very useful. I think it's opened up some possibilities that we perhaps didn't appreciate before. Yes, and it has a it has very much focused the mind in a way that's almost too much for the brain to handle on, you know, what we value in our society, you know, all of the conversations about, well, how do we want to move forward? What sort of economy? What's COVID taught us, you know, yes. about how we can prioritise uh, human life, which is what's been happening in yep. response to yes. this life-threatening pandemic, and also how the value of expert advice, which is another one of the stumbling blocks, was one of the principles that we've had in the Women's Climate Congress right from the very beginning is to, you know, respect and accept the science from the latest IPCC report and the uh, goal of the Paris Accord to keep global warming to below 1.5 degrees of warming, if that's at all possible. That's our sort of definition of restoring climate balance, which is in our vision statement. So that sort of thing of valuing expert advice around those scientific things, the COVID has taught us that that does happen. (laughs) So it's actually offered some concrete anchors that we can then use or that the Climate Congress and the Climate Change Movement can use more broadly to try and draw lessons, if you like, from COVID-19 to, uh, you know, taking action on climate change. Yes. And of course, many, many commentators are doing that. So we have this voice going on, (laughs) supporting what we're saying. So that has been good. Yes doesn't take away from the fact that what we started, uh, well, with or without COVID, actually, what we started, it it is an enormous task to probably didn't quite (laughs) realise. Actually, the first meeting that we had was on the 20th of January, and that was the day of the big hailstorm. We had about 40 women lined up to come to a meeting that evening at the Australian Centre for Christianity and Culture. And, of course, the hailstorm happened. I thought nobody would come. But, in fact, I think 35 of them did come. Oh, that's impressive. That's great. (laughs) It was amazing. And many couldn't come for that and a number of other reasons. So we had then another meeting a couple of weeks later with another about another 35 people. So that was how we started. But we didn't quite realise. We were very determined at that time because Mm. of the intensity of the bushfire experience and the smoke and the hail and everything uh, was showing us that this is like Earth's fury being unleashed on us. Yes. Yes. (laughs) But now that the reality has gradually sunk in of what a big task it is that we've uh, taken on. But we are, you know, we're determined to push forward. You know, we're really, really hungry for something different, a different culture, a different way of moving forward. And I think there's certainly a frustration with that lack of progress. If people want to get involved or know more about the Women Climate Congress, uh, Janet, how can they do that? Uh, Well, we have a website um, and the website address is Women's Congress. That's all one word dot weebly.com and on there there's a contact address where they can contact us and I'll probably pick up the email (laughs) and on the front page there's a join us form where people can just put in their name and email and that puts them onto our mailing list so they can join us that way yeah okay great and I'll put that email address uh, onto our Facebook page as well I can give you the actual email address, which is just Women's Climate Congress, all one word, dot, dot, 
gmail.com. That's great. Janet, thank you very much for speaking with me on Subject ACT. I'm really interested to hear more about the Women Climate Congress and it'd be great if we could keep in touch on that. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sophie. It was a pleasure. Thank you. And that was Dr Janet Salisbury on the Women Climate Congress. The Climate Congress was formed earlier this year in the aftermath of the terrible bushfires, calling for women's leadership and the different style that that might bring in addressing the climate crisis, prioritising the nurturing of life, collaboration and a non-partisan approach. And that brings us to the end of tonight's program. I hope you've enjoyed it. I'm Sophie Singh. Thanks for listening. Thank you.